Well, in case you didn't know, it's Easter. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we will begin in a moment. I think for some people, their spiritual life, unfortunately, is a lot like riding a roller coaster. Uh, There are some highs and there are some lows and there's a whole lot of waiting in line, right? And uh, I think a lot of people that describes their spiritual life. There certainly are some highs. There are times that you can think of perhaps when you've experienced answered prayer, when you felt the presence of the Lord. Uh, Perhaps there have been times when you've known the joy and the peace that can only come from heaven. There are some highs. And there are some lows. There are times when we feel the sting of conviction because of our sins. Uh, There are times when we feel the weight of guilt because of our poor decisions. There are highs and there are lows, but I think for a lot of people, they'd say there's a whole lot of just nothing. There's a whole lot of just sort of standing in line. There's There's a whole lot of my life that doesn't have anything it seems to do with God or with Jesus, with my walk with the Lord, with the church. There's just a whole lot of standing in line. And I think maybe in your more honest moments, you might have asked yourself, is this really all there is to being a Christian? Is this really all there is to the Christian faith? Do some people have something that I don't have? Or or are people just playing charades? Are people just pretending that something's true in their life that's not really true? And if you're wondering that this morning, I want you to know that you're not the first person to ask those questions. You're not the first person to feel that way. And so I want to take you back to the very first Easter. When the first Easter happened, it wasn't the the, the pageant that it is today. It wasn't something that Christians prepared for and looked forward to with excitement and enthusiasm. The first Easter was far different than that. It was a complete surprise. The disciples had been walking with Jesus for, for three years. They were excited about this kingdom that seemed to be just bubbling up in their ministry and in, and, and in, the, in the things that Jesus would do and say in the crowds that would come. And they were excited about what the future would hold until one night, middle of the night, some soldiers came and they arrested Jesus. It surprised all of the disciples. They didn't see this coming. And then just a short time later, Jesus was executed. He was nailed to a cross and he bled and he died. And the disciples were crushed. All these dreams, they were gone. They were second guessing everything that happened. They were depressed. They were discouraged. They, they were ready to quit. And so Jesus was laid in the tomb and the disciples, their hopes were, were laid in the tomb as well. And some of them just went back to their, old, to their old business, their old jobs, their old way of life because as high as their hopes were now, Jesus has been crucified and it's, it's all over. I, I like to think that on Sunday morning, which by the way was the first day of the work week. We forget that sometimes. We think of Sunday as an off day, but for them Sunday was, the, was Monday. It was the first day of the week. And so So everybody was hustling and bustling and getting back to work and some of the disciples were perhaps sitting around and drinking coffee if they drink coffee and it was a tough morning and they were contemplating their future. And so Mary and uh, one of her companions, uh, Salome, decided before the day got busy that they would go down and tend to the grave. That was the custom of their day. 
And so they go down just uh, with shoulders drooped, with head laid low, and, and they get to the tomb, and they discover something wonderful. They discover that the dead man is alive. They discover that Jesus has come back to life. And the Bible uses a lot of adjectives to describe how they felt. It says that they were amazed, that they were astonished, that they were overwhelmed when they got the news. And so then they, they share with, uh, with Peter and with John, and Peter and John are so overcome by the news that they, they have a foot race to go see who can get there first to confirm this incredible story that the dead man has come back to life. What a shocking turnaround. Everything changed for the disciples. Everything. And things at that point had really honestly not been going so well. And the disciples, I'm sure, knew that. It was just a few days ago that John, the one who was closest to Jesus, Jesus had asked him in his greatest time of need to pray, to pray. And you know what John did? The one who was closest to Jesus, the one who you'd think would have had the greatest commitment to Jesus, John just fell asleep. <laughs> and Jesus woke him up and John fell asleep again. He couldn't even pray for Jesus. And then Peter, he was sort of the leader of the disciples. Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was always in trouble with Jesus. He said some of the most absurd things you could imagine. And he was the leader of the disciples. And then Judas, one of the, one of the key disciples, one of those 12 men had abandoned Jesus and had abandoned the disciples. And, and it was just a week or two ago that the disciples had gotten together and they were fussing like little kids about who was the greatest disciple. You know, things had not gone so well, but now everything changed. There was no more roller coaster for Peter and for John. There was no more on-again, off-again faith for the disciples. There was no more inconsistency. There was no more just waiting in line. Everything changed. And what I want to do this morning is I want to reintroduce you to the resurrection with the hopes that for you, Everything could change on this resurrection day. And so we're going to look in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, it's interesting, the details of the resurrection are, are found in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell us the details, and that's very important. But the significance of the resurrection is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And so that's where we're going to look. And I want to give you just an overview of the resurrection uh, I want us to walk through some of this chapter, and I'm going to show you the verses on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles, don't panic. We'll go through this together. But I want to give you an overview of the resurrection, and then we're going to answer the question, how can the resurrection help me to get off the spiritual roller coaster that I find myself on? Well, the first thing I want us to see, 1 Corinthians 15, let me read verses 3 and 4. Here we're going to see the centrality of the resurrection. I want you to see that the resurrection is the central piece of the Christian faith. The Bible says, I passed on to you as most important. And I underline those words when we put them on the screen because what he's about to tell us is this is the most important thing in the Christian faith. I, I passed on to you as most important what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. See, the, the, the resurrection is the central piece to our faith. 
sometimes people ask, what, what, is the, what is the basis, what is the foundation of our Christian faith? What, what do we build the faith upon? And then some people have suggested, well, we build the faith upon the teachings of Jesus. That Jesus taught all the time. We, we have many of his teachings recorded in the Gospels, and, and, they're, and they're fantastic truths. They're, they're complete truths. And so some people have suggested that we base our faith, the Christian religion, if you will, on the teachings of Jesus. But listen, we do not. Now, Jesus was a great teacher, and he was the greatest teacher, and everything he said was true, but, but the teachings of Christ are not are not the basis of our faith. Many people have taught great things before. Many people have spoken the truth before. And we do not follow Jesus because he was a great teacher. We do not follow Jesus even because he was the greatest teacher. That's not the foundation of our faith. So some people have suggested, well, the foundation of our faith are the miracles that Jesus performed. And Jesus certainly performed great miracles. But listen, the miracle working power of Jesus is not the foundation of our faith. Other people in the Bible have performed miracles. In fact, you could argue that the most spectacular miracles in the Bible were not even performed by Jesus. They were performed by other people that we see mentioned in the pages of scripture. And while Jesus performed great miracles, we do not follow Jesus because of his miracles. And so then some have suggested that we follow Jesus because he died on the cross. Well, he did die on the cross, and we spent last week talking about the significance of that. It is very important. But, you know, lots of people have died. Lots of people died on the cross. A lot of people died on the cross claiming to be divine. And while Jesus' death on the cross is, is essential, it's, it's very significant, we We do not ultimately follow Jesus because he was a man who died on the cross. So what is the basis of our faith? Why do we follow Jesus? There there have been many great teachers through history. There there have been many people who have done things that their contemporaries could not explain. There have been many people who have died noble deaths. So what separates Jesus? This one thing. Jesus came back to life. See, the resurrection is the central piece of our faith. A man predicted his death. He predicted his resurrection. He died as he said he would die. He came back to life just as he said he would come back to life. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're here on Resurrection Sunday, 2,000 years later, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In fact, that's why we're here every Sunday. Have you ever thought about this? The Jews did not worship on Sunday. They worshiped on Saturday. But this event, the resurrection of Christ, was so significant. It was such a key part of what it means to be a Christian that, that they, they ended up moving worship to the first day of the work week. Can you imagine if we tried to move worship to Monday? There's not any church I know of that worships on a Monday. Nobody worships on Monday. But they did that because the resurrection is the central piece of our Christian faith. Now, I want to continue to read because I want you to see not only the centrality of the resurrection, I want you to see the certainty of it. And so we're going to pick up in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 5. He says, and that he appeared, this is after his resurrection, that he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. 
And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Here we see the, the, the certainty of the resurrection because it, it is the proof that the Christian faith is genuine, that is true. Here we see some strong evidence that Jesus Christ uh, is the Messiah, is the one true living God. Did you know that no historical event beyond a thousand years is better attested to than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That, that people have said, scholars have said that even according to modern laws of jurisprudence, that there is enough evidence that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose from the grave to prove in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt its veracity. There's that much proof. If you're interested in the proof of the resurrection, uh, send me an email. I'll recommend some books to you. I recommend some resources that you could go to. I think about Geisler's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That'd probably be a good place to start. You could jot that down. But I could give you some other books and other resources. It is amazing, just the volume of evidence that we have that Jesus Christ did, in fact, come back to life. Now, I'll just give you an overview of that. And one day we'll spend a, a two or three sermons on this, but, but let me just give you an overview. First of all, there's the evidence of the empty tomb. When the apostles proclaimed the resurrection of Christ, they didn't go to some distant city to do it. They did it right there in Jerusalem where Jesus had died and where Jesus had been buried. And the authorities, which, by the way, were furious at the disciples when they were proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected, it was a slap in their face. It was an embarrassment to them, a humiliation. They hated the disciples for this. Had the, had the authorities been able to produce the body of the dead Jesus, they could have put a stop to this instantly, right? I mean, if you want to proclaim somebody is resurrected, it's easy to prove that wrong if we're in the city where the person is buried. But the empty tomb was a proof that the resurrection was real. I'll give you another evidence. There's the evidence of the eyewitnesses. Uh, there were people who had seen with their own eyes the resurrected Savior. And so the disciples saw him on more than one occasion. And at one point, over 500 people at the same time saw Jesus. And, and when this was written, when 1 Corinthians was written, as he tells us here, many of these people were still alive. And so this story could be verified. It's as if Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians, is saying, Jesus rose from the dead because, Fred, you remember seeing him? Sally, you remember seeing him? The people who read this letter about the resurrection of Christ, they knew people who had seen the resurrected Christ. The eyewitness testimony proves that Jesus was raised from the dead. Another proof would be the changed lives. The disciples were radically changed uh, by, the, by the resurrection of Christ. These wishy-washy roller coaster Christians, they were changed when they saw the resurrected Christ. It was amazing, the metamorphosis that they went through. Somebody has suggested that, well, it, the burden is on Christians to prove to the lost world that Jesus was real and that he rose from the grave. And, and they're right. And we can prove that. We, we have evidence on our side. This isn't just a, 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 a claim that we make with no evidence. But listen, I think there's some proof that they've shared the burden for because they, there's, there has to be some explanation for how the whole world hinged 
on this event. The whole world, the whole of history in the world has hinged upon this one event. Something amazing happened on the day we call Easter 2,000 years ago, and that's proof, the resurrection of Christ. And then there is the proof of the willing martyrs. Did you know the disciples all died uh, because they proclaimed the resurrection of Christ? They were given some of them chances at the very end to, to recant, to say, no, it's not true. It's a lie. It's a story we made up. And, and they went to their deaths, painful deaths, excruciating deaths, proclaiming the resurrected Christ. Now that's proof. And you might say, well, you, pastor, lots of people die for a lie. If you think about Muslim terrorists, you know, they, they die, they give their lives, uh, suicide bombers, they give their lives for a lie. Well, they do, but listen, there's a difference. People die every day for lies, but they don't die for their own lies. I mean, they don't die for a known lie. When the disciples proclaimed that Jesus was resurrected, they knew whether that was true or not. They had seen it with their own eyes. And people don't die for a lie if they know it's a lie. And these disciples knew it was the truth because they had seen it and they gave their lives for what they had seen. You see, we see here in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that there's proof, the certainty of the resurrection. Now, the fourth thing, very quickly, I want you to see the exclusivity of the resurrection. Look down to verse 14. Verse 14, he says, if Christ had not been raised, then our proclamation, our claiming that Jesus has risen from the grave is in vain, and so is your faith. He, he says that, that this Christian faith is different from, from any other kind of religion. It's different from any other kind of faith. It's not the same thing. It's not just a different religion with, with, uh, with the names changed. It's different. Did you know that every other major world religion is based on a teaching? And I want you to see this, this is, this is important. Every other major world religion is based on a teaching. If we were to look to Islam, what's the basis of Islam? Well, it is the teaching of Muhammad. It's the teaching of Muhammad. If we were to look to uh, uh, Buddhism, uh, Buddhism is based on the teaching of Siddhartha Gautama. If we were to look to Hinduism, Hinduism is based on the teaching found in the Vedas. If we were to look to Confucianism, Confucianism is based on the teaching of the philosopher, the, the Chinese philosopher Confucius. If we were to look to Mormonism, Mormonism is based on the teaching of Joseph Smith. Every major world religion is based on a teaching except for one, Christianity. See, Christianity is not based on a teaching. It's based on a verifiable event that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you see how that's different from all the others? Now, Christianity has teaching, of course, an important teaching, true teaching. But the, but, but the thing that separates Christianity from everything else is that its, it's very foundation is not just somebody's viewpoint. It is a verifiable event that happened in history, the resurrection of Christ. And then I want you to see one more thing about the resurrection, the necessity of it. Uh, look at verse 17, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. He, he says it's necessary. You can't have the Christian faith without having 
the resurrection. In fact, at one point here in 1 Corinthians 15, we didn't read the verse, but he, he, he says that, um, that, that if Christianity is not true, you should pity Christians because their whole life is based on a, on a lie. Everything hinges on the resurrection. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the gauntlet thrown down. This is the bottom line, the final word. This is proof that Christianity is true. Now, I don't want to be trite here. I want to be careful with my words, but listen. It boils down to this. If you could tell me that you're going to die, I mean, predict your death, the when and the how, and you could tell me that you're going to bring yourself back to life, and you tell me the when and the how, and then you pull it off. Then you die, and we bury you. We have a funeral. And then just as you said, you get back up out of the grave three days later, and you're alive. Now, if you can do that, listen, that pretty much answers all my questions. I'm with you, okay? I mean, whatever else you have to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I mean, if you can do that, if you can pull that off, then I'm with you. That settles everything. Now, here's what I want you to see. The the, the resurrection of Jesus should settle everything for us. There should be no doubt. If we believe in the resurrection of Christ, there should be no doubts about anything because he has proved it, the necessity of the resurrection. Now, that's the background. So how does the resurrection change our lives? How does the resurrection get us off the roller coaster? How does the resurrection do for us what the resurrection did for the disciples? Well, let me show you. If you look at the very last verse in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, uh, the whole chapter has been about the resurrection. We come to the very last verse, and he's going to sum it up, and he's going to tell us how it can impact our lives. He begins this verse by saying, therefore, therefore, because of all the stuff, because of the centrality of the resurrection, because of the necessity, the certainty, the exclusivity of the resurrection, because of all of that, here's what you need to know. Here's where this intersects with your life. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me show you from that verse two ways quickly that because of the resurrection, your life can be changed. You can get off the roller coaster. Number one, because of the resurrection, I can nail down my relationship with the Lord. Because of the resurrection, I can nail down, I can settle it I can fix it. I can, I, 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 can, I can anchor down my relationship with the Lord. Now, let's look back at verse 58 because I, I want you to see that I'm not just making this up. This is what the scripture says. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Steadfast and immovable. What, what he's saying is that because of the resurrection, because of all the stuff we've seen in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, now I can be steadfast. That means in one place. That means firmly planted. That means my feet anchored on the rock. I can be steadfast and immovable. Immovable means the same thing. It just strengthens the word. What he's telling us is that because of the resurrection, I can nail down my walk with God. 
Now, let me explain how this works. And I want you to really listen closely because I struggled this week how to explain this. It's, it's hard to explain. I'm really trusting the Holy Spirit's going to help us all understand this. But if we could get this one truth, I think it would change all of our lives. How does the resurrection help us to firmly plant, to establish ourselves in the Lord? Well, it does it this way. It brings everything down to a single question. The, the resurrection becomes the hinge point for everything. And the single question is this, did Jesus Christ come back to life or not? Did Jesus Christ come back to life or not? I want you to see that, that it is that one question, nothing else. It is that one question that, that should determine everything else about your life. Did Jesus Christ come back to life or did he not? If he came back to life, let's think about this. If Jesus really died and he, and he rose, he came back to life, he lifted himself up, he beat death, well, then that ought to settle things, right? I mean, death is an enemy that's going to get us all. Death is something that all of us are running from. And if Jesus Christ really has defeated death, if he really holds the keys to life and death, if he was really resurrected, then we just need to fall in line with him. We just, that, that should settle it. We should sell out and follow Jesus. If not, if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we should abandon this because the whole Bible, the whole Christian faith collapses if the resurrection is not true. It's this one question that determines everything. There's no in-between on this. There's no, well, I sort of believe it. No, you either believe it or you don't believe it. You know, if Christianity were a teaching, let's look at it this way. If, if Christianity were just a teaching, if it were just a, some philosophy, if it were just a viewpoint, if it were teaching, then you could have an opinion on it, right? You could agree with parts of it and not agree with parts of it. You could debate with it. If it were a teaching, you could have that kind of relationship with it. If, if Christianity were a lifestyle, you could do it occasionally. I mean, sort of like a diet, right? You know, you diet for a few days, you don't diet for a few days. You diet for a few days. If it were a lifestyle, you could just sort of, sort of on again, off again. But Christianity is not a teaching and it's not a lifestyle. Now, it includes a teaching and it includes a lifestyle, but Christianity is a question. Did Jesus come back to life or not? And there are just some things where there's no gray area. It's like flipping a quarter. It's either heads or tails. And if Jesus Christ rose from the grave, then we ought to follow him with everything we have. You know, this is how Jesus presented the Christian faith. He, he, Jesus was a great teacher, of course, but Jesus didn't present it as a teaching. Here's how Jesus presented the faith. He, he, he compared it to a road that you choose to go down. Listen to this. He said in Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by in it. He said, I'll present to you the Christian faith. There are two roads and one leads to God and one leads to hell. And he says, you're going to choose which road. See, it's, it's one or the other. Jesus compared the Christian life to a door. He said, I am the door or the gate. And if anyone comes by me, he will be saved. He, is, are you going to go through the door? Or are you not going to go through the door? Jesus Christ compared the Christian life to, um, uh, to, to a route on a map. 
He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus presented the whole Christian faith as this either or. Not do you agree with a little bit of this, and oh, I like what Jesus said over here, but I'm uncomfortable with that. That's not, that's, not, that's not the Christian faith that you're being asked by the Holy Spirit to accept. Did he die on the cross and come back to life? And if he did, then that should nail it down in our lives. I think about the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote 1 Corinthians. It's interesting to see how he came to know the Lord. Do you know that story? So the Apostle Paul, he, he lived in Jerusalem. He was uh, younger than Jesus, so he comes on along a few years later. But, but he was an educated man, and he had heard of the teachings of Jesus. He knew the teachings of Jesus. And he was not impressed. He wasn't impressed. Paul knew about the miracles of Jesus. In fact, Paul had heard firsthand stories about the miracles of Jesus. Paul had friends, most likely, who had seen the miracles of Jesus. And he was not impressed. Until one day, Paul ran into the resurrected Jesus. And everything changed. Because then it wasn't a teaching to, uh, to pick apart or, 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 or even to agree with. It, th then it was a person who was dead and who is alive. And Paul knew I'm either in or out at that point. And, and that needs to be our attitude. So let's talk about the roller coaster again. Some people are on this spiritual roller coaster. There's some ups and some downs. You can point to some spiritual experiences, but there's just a whole lot of nothing. Just a whole lot of nothing. Why, why, are people, why are people on this spiritual roller coaster? I, I think there are two reasons. Some are on it because they've just never stepped across the line. They, they've never said, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, and that settles it. If a man can beat death, that settles it. There's no more debate. There's no more, well, what about this? What about that? That settles it for me. I trust him and him alone for my forgiveness, and I surrender to the one who holds the keys uh, to life and death. You know, a lot of times people approach Christianity like, like a restaurant menu. Uh, we go to a restaurant. When do we go to a restaurant? We go to a restaurant when we are hungry, right? If you're not hungry, you don't go to a restaurant, but you go to a restaurant when you're hungry. And when you get to the restaurant, you look at the menu and what do you order? You order what you think is going to satisfy you. You just sort of pick and choose. And a lot of people, that's Christianity to them. They, they turn to Christianity when, they, when they're hungry, when they have a need, when their life is falling apart. And then they just order from Christianity the parts that they think will satisfy them. But listen, the resurrection says you can't do that. It's either true or it's false. You're either in or you're out. Some people just need to step over the line and say, I believe it. I'm in. I think some people, though, they've just forgotten the power of the resurrection. I think there's some people, they're, they're genuine believers, but they've, they've just forgotten that the resurrection divides everything into two categories. It's either for God or against God. There was something that Jesus said uh, that, that must have perplexed people when he said it. Matthew 6, is one of my favorite verses. This was before the crucifixion resurrection. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And people must have thought, well, that's just sort of over the top, Jesus. You're, you're telling us just to seek, just to go after the godly things in life and let everything else take care of itself. But once Jesus died and he came back to life, it added a whole new punch to that passage. Of course, if life is in the hands of Christ, if death has is, is, uh, been defeated by Jesus, 
then we need to remember that changes everything. But very quickly, there's one more thing that I think we, um, that help us get off this roller coaster. There's one more thing that because of the resurrection, it changes our life. And that's this, I can live for eternity. Now, I don't have much time. I want you to look back at verse 58 again. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The things you do for God are not empty. Have you ever gone online and found one of those mortality websites, those mortality clocks? You can um, you put, in, put in your birth date and uh, you answer some questions about your, about your ethnicity and your lifestyle, and it will tell you what day you're going to die on. Now, I don't recommend you do that. It'd probably be pretty discouraging, but you know, we, we live our whole lives, I think, with that kind of mentality. We know that death is coming and we gotta squeeze all the life we can out of the days we have left. I remember a few years ago, I was uh, with my wife and my girls, so thankful y'all could be here today. But uh, my wife and my girls, we had gone to, um, we were on a beach and they were renting jet skis. Now, I've only been on a jet ski once or twice before, and I thought, you know, I may never have an opportunity again to get on a jet ski, especially when my kids are young. I am going to ride a jet ski. And so that we were, um, we were not in America, so uh, there were not a lot of rules and safety regulations and those kind of things. <laughs> so I went over to the jet ski guy, and um, I said, listen, here's a $100 bill. You just give me the jet ski for a couple hours. Let me do whatever I want. I don't want limits. I don't want, I don't want you to tell me where I can go, where I can't go. I just, it's my jet ski. Here's $100. You just sort of sit down. And uh, I don't know if that guy had ever seen $100 before. So he put it in his pocket. He sat down and gave me the keys and off we went. And so I, um, I enjoyed that jet ski. My girls, uh, the ones that were brave enough, uh, got on the jet ski with me. And we were out in the ocean jumping over waves. And we just had the best time. But I was watching my watch. And I knew that my time was ticking down. And uh, listen, I wanted to squeeze every bit of pleasure I could possibly squeeze out of those minutes. And I, I ran that jet ski so hard. I jumped so high. I, I, I had so much fun because I could just see my time ticking down. Now, I think a lot of people, that's how they live their entire lives. That's why people abandon marriages instead of fighting to the finish for their families. Because they're trying to squeeze everything they can out of life. And they think that once, once the time is up, then life is over. I think that's why people retire on serving the Lord. I mean, you can retire at uh, Walmart, that's fine. But I think one of the reasons people retire on serving the Lord is because they're trying to squeeze everything out before the ticker stops. I think that's why people, young people, embrace an ungodly lifestyle. They think they can squeeze a little more out of this life. I think that's why people spend money selfishly instead of investing in the things of God. They're, they're just trying to squeeze everything out. But listen, the resurrection says, when Jesus came back to life, what that says is that death is not the end. What that says is that the timer does not run out. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It goes on. And, 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 and the goal shouldn't be to squeeze everything out of this life. The goal should be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let all these things be added to you. Let me just explain it this way as we close. If I had a pen up here, I could make a dot on this uh, pulpit. 
I mean, just a fine-tipped pen, you know, I guess the dot would be about one millimeter in diameter, just a tiny round dot. So I've got my dot, and then from my dot, I draw a line. And so I draw a line across the, the pulpit and down one of the legs, and then I draw, I keep drawing it, I draw it across the floor, through the carpet, all the way down the aisle out the back door. So I've got a dot, and then I've got a line. But I don't stop the line there. I keep it going. I go all the way out into North Street. And then I take a right. Okay? So I go that way until North Street turns into South Street. I mean, it's a big pen. Yeah, you understand. And so I go, I go down South Street until I get to Red Lobster in Lufkin. Okay? And I stop for some shrimp scampi or something. And then, and then I get back on the road. And I've got, my, I've got my pen. And the line just continues. I go to Houston. I go all the way to Houston. Then I take a right and I go down the coast and I end up in Mexico and then I take a left and I go down through Mexico and Central America and South America and I just keep on going. I mean, the line never stops. I circle the globe with my line. Now, you got, a, you got the picture? I got, I got a dot and a line. Now, the whole world says you ought to live for the dot. You ought to squeeze as much as you can out of the dot. That's your life, and it's going to end. College students should squeeze as much as they can, no matter what God says. Squeeze as much as you can out of the dot. Retired people, I'm not going to invest in the things of God. I'm going to squeeze as much as I can out of the dot. The world says that life is the dot. The resurrection says that life is the line. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Listen, it's time to get off the roller coaster and let the power of the resurrection change our lives. Just like it changed the lives of the disciples. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you one question. Nobody looking around. Please don't shuffle. Just, I want everybody to hear, hear the question. What is the result of the resurrection in your life? I mean, what kind of impact has it had on you? This is not just a teaching or a philosophy. And th th this is the biggest event in history. God has said everything in history will hinge on this event. And everything in your life will hinge on this event. The resurrection of Christ. What has been the result of the resurrection in your life? And I want to ask you as we stand and sing to respond to the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can be a child of God today by putting your trust in Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, and surrendering your life to him. And I'll be standing here in front, and others will stand with me as people come, and you can just take my hand and say, today I would like to become a child of God. Many of us today, we know Christ is our savior, but we're still living for the dot. But today, we will say with the disciples, today everything changes because he is risen indeed. Father, change us by the power of the resurrection. Like Paul, who was converted when he ran into the, to the resurrected savior, let us be altered forever because of our encounter with him this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.
Thank you.